Hello and welcome to another episode of the More From Law podcast. I'm your host, Harry Clark. This episode features Dominique Miet, a legal design expert otherwise known as the visual lawyer. In this episode, Dominique and I discuss the world of legal design, what it is, why it's needed, and how it can help disseminate legal information in an alternative way to a normal bread and butter contract. Let's get into it. So hi, Dominique. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Hi, Harry. Thanks for inviting me. It's a pleasure. And I must admit, I think I was first inspired to um, connect with you and to invite you on the show after I was scrolling through LinkedIn and a really colourful picture caught my eye. Um, and when I actually clicked on it and had a read, I couldn't believe it. what I was looking at was technically some form of an NDA contract. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was a really cool kind of design that you'd put together of ways to, um, I guess, reshape and redesign the way that contracts um, look and are formulated and are presented to those who use them. Um, and as a visual learner myself, it was really interesting to see how this was applying into the profession. And I thought I had to get you on the show to talk all things legal design and to um, explore this topic, which at least in my perspective really hadn't been talked about at university. And I think a lot of students don't don't always um, hear this concept a lot. And even, I guess you could say, practicing lawyers don't either. So um, I've had, you know, legal innovators, legal technologists on the show, but I'm really glad to have you here to, to speak all things legal design and to, um, to share your thoughts, really. So it's so thanks for coming on. Oh, thank you. My pleasure. Looking forward to it. Yes, no, I'm hoping it'll be really insightful. Um, but before we get too much into the legal design side of things, a, a nice little icebreaker question I like to ask people um, when they come on the show um, is to say why they originally wanted to work within the sort of realms of the legal profession in the first place um, and sort of your background state for people who haven't had the chance to meet or speak with you. Well, um, prior to founding The Visual Lawyer and mm-hmm. to know how to, I worked for about uh, 13 years in law firms as a lawyer, mm-hmm. knowledge manager, as well as marketing and business development manager. Mm-hmm. And before that, I worked in the financial services industry for almost six years. Um, I've always been an early adopter, a nonconformist, curious by nature, mm-hmm. who likes to stay ahead of the curve. And with a combined economic background in economics and law, and additional certificates in business design thinking, digital strategy, and successful innovation, I think it's no surprise that I love to work in multidisciplinary fields. Mm -hmm. And that is exactly what legal design is about. Yeah, that's really interesting. And I guess, like you said, you're a disruptor and you're someone who likes to think things through differently. And as someone who went through the legal education system and, and who had work experience just sort of seeing contracts for the first time, I noticed that they're all kind of presented in this very, very methodical manner of, you know, strictly using Word documents and formatting in a certain way. Um, mm-hmm. There was even an entire section of my drafting module um, at law school, which was totally dedicated to house style and, you know, how things have to look on paper. And so I think when I first came across your sort of colored pens and, um, you know, fancy arrows and sort of really different ways of trying to approach a contract, um, it just really caught my eye. And um, I guess that speaks nicely to to what the, the objectives of legal design are. But um, mm-hmm. for people who haven't had the opportunity to see this um, example or see it in action, um, what is legal design all about? Well, there's actually no single definition for legal design, Mm -hmm. but I think we can all agree on the fact that it's a human-centered approach to Mm -hmm. innovation in the legal field. In essence, it refers to the application of design thinking in the legal Mm -hmm. field, and also for design thinking, there's no single definition, which makes it quite interesting. Mm -hmm. For me, it's a methodology for creative problem solving, 
a multidisciplinary way of thinking and doing, acting, mm -hmm. that puts our clients, or users as we call them, in the center of the innovation process and that combines creativity with structure. Legal design is also the umbrella term of which the application possibilities are vast. Innovations can relate to legal products, um, legal services, optimizing processes, business models, to name just a few. And my company, The Visual Lawyer, focuses on legal information design. And that is the communication of complex legal information. And what we do is... We combine legal expertise with design thinking and visual thinking. Mm -hmm. And we also apply principles from behavioral economics and so social psychology, such as nudging and framing, to create legal communications which people will like to read. Mm -hmm. And in essence, legal information design facilitates effective client communication and helps legal professionals, lawyers, to communicate with impact. So basically, it's all about effective communication. Communication that is clear, to the point, and user-centered. Yeah. And it can be applied to many documents, general terms and conditions, compliance policies, privacy statements, training materials, legal newsletters, all types of contracts, etc. Mm -hmm. uh, there is one more thing that I really would like to emphasize, and that is that legal information design is much more than just applying graphic or visual design to legal documents. Mm. The goal is not to beautify legal documents, but to create legal documents that are clear, well-structured, and therefore easy to navigate, easy to read and understand. And I hope that this is also what you have experienced at first hand. Yes. No, I remember when I was seeing your um, your kind of design of the NDA contract and you actually broke down how, you know, as as humans, I think you said something along the lines of that, you know, our eyes are primarily um, first attracted to the top left of a document and then our, our eyes kind of naturally work our way down the left-hand side and round to the right. And so when it came to displaying the most important or critical information, you had to do so on the basis of how um, the end user would be likely to mm -hmm. sort of prioritize, I guess, when it came to how they kind of fed the information and kind of processed it. And I guess you kind of hinted to it there at the end of your answer as to, you know, what legal design is there for, because um, ultimately a lot of kind of legal documents and legal mm -hmm. terminology um, isn't very accessible to, um, you know, people who haven't studied law, um, non-lawyers and, and you know, people who really need access to that information. Mm -hmm. um, because, you know, you only have to go through terms and conditions of a website or, um, you know, something like that. But I think we've all done on a on a on a somewhat weekly basis in our mm -hmm. lives. And you can just tell that there's a massive legal information there that is presented in a really haphazard way in a way that isn't very clear so um is that kind of the primary reason as to why legal design is so important that sort of accessibility to to law yeah that's one of the reasons um and an important one uh, generally speaking what we see is that innovation initiatives in law firms often fail because the innovation does not solve a real problem or does not solve a real need mm. and design thinking minimizes this innovation risks by engaging users, clients, from the very beginning and by following a structured process. So designers show us that creativity and structure can go hand in hand. 
and the process-driven approach of designing the writing on one hand and designing the thing right on the other hand, that is also called the double diamond in design mm-hmm. thinking, allows you to quickly understand what users want, what your clients really need, um, how you can solve real problems, and to prototype, to test, and to validate. And as a result, your outcome, your legal services or products, for example, will be more useful, user-friendly, and desirable in the most efficient and effective way. So design thinking does helps to turn the creative process into real added value for your clients. Now, design thinking is not new. The concept of design thinking emerged as far back as 1969, I think it was, and it has been successfully used for many years in almost every industry to drive innovation. So why would the legal industry be an exception? I guess that's very true. Um, And I think generally when I've spoken to innovators, to people who are trying to drive greater development of technology um, within the profession, um, a very consistent message they've all said is that the the law profession generally and the legal industry generally is is slow to adapt to these changes. Um, Would would you say that that's the same when it comes to the realms of, of legal design? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I guess this episode, we've talked a little bit about, you know, what legal design is all about and kind of why it's important. Um, but like I said at the beginning of this episode, um, at least from my own personal experience, I, I hadn't heard of it at all when it came to um, practicing law school or, mm-hmm. um, you know, studying my LLB at university. And I'm sure non-law students were the same as well. Um, and I think that reflects a kind of broader point we have about legal innovation. Um, so when it comes to I guess, placing this greater emphasis, given that it's so important in the legal education system. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you think we can kind of go about doing that in a way that will be most effective for ultimately what we said at the beginning, which was the end user, the you know the, the, the client or the customer who needs access to that, that legal information? Yeah, well, I, I think there are already some good courses on design thinking in general at the business schools and even on legal design in particular. A good resource to start with is the website of the Legal Design Lab at Stanford Mm -hmm. Law School, which is really great. Um, And as for legal information design, I am convinced that legal information design will become the new business writing for legal professionals. Maybe not today, but definitely Mm -hmm. tomorrow. And the focus, focus should not only be on what is traditionally called data visualization, but also on text visualization, because of course, legal documents are often text heavy documents. Mm. So data visualization obviously refers to things like graphs, like yeah, pie charts. Yeah, and, and it relates uh, to figures and not to mm-hmm. text. That's the okay. difference. So how would one go about sort of visualizing the, the text element? I know yeah. I've obviously seen an Indeed. example I mean, picture, but for people who are listening and yeah. wanting to try and get that picture in there. Yeah. Finding the right text format, as we call it, mm-hmm. is, is, is a difficult one for, for most legal professionals. Processes is quite simple because, well, that's just different steps. So everybody can recognize that. But other things are, are more difficult to recognize and takes a little bit more practice. Talking 
about legal design, it's quite clear how, from the client's perspective, the consumer's perspective, that you know the the, the better formatting, for want of a better word, of legal documentation in a way that mm-hmm. makes it clearer, more accessible, um, obviously makes it easier for them to digest the information. Um, would you argue there's a real kind of benefit from the lawyer's perspective and from the law firm's perspective? Um, obviously, it would require quite a significant upheaval of their current processes and, mm-hmm. and how they're kind of been used to doing things, for, for want of a better phrase. But um, do you think there's a do you think there's a real benefit to be had there if they followed through on, on some kind of um, change in their in their current approach? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, in general, as I already said, design thinking minimizes the innovation risk. Innovation mm-hmm. is a risky business. That is why most initiatives still fail. And as for legal information design in particular, by putting your clients, your users at the heart of the design process, your message will not only be communicated in a language that your clients understand, plain language instead of legalese, but also in a visually attractive format. Legal documents are often text-heavy documents, and through the combination of text and visual elements, such as icons, timelines, infographics, etc., your message gets more clear, convincing and engaging. Uh, So it definitely benefits long-term client relationships. Because legal information design is still relatively new, you also can stand out of the crowd in a world of information overload, client-friendly communications, using text and visual elements to reinforce the content will definitely be noticed on LinkedIn or other social media. Even more important, simplification of legal content makes law more accessible, so which is also a great benefit. And legal information design also often results in shorter and more visual documents that makes your content come to life. And this makes it much easier to convey your message in a digital world. We make your content easy to skim and scan through the right balance of text and visual elements. And there is more. Let's take a closer look at contract design, for example. The one who draws up the contract, the lawyer, is usually not the one who negotiates or signs the contract. And this can lead to misunderstandings, especially if the contract is poorly structured and written in legalese. Now, by putting the users at the heart of the design process, you are rethinking the contract from the perspective of, for example, a consumer who has to sign the contract and salespeople account managers who have to negotiate the contract. So the contract is no longer a lawyer to written by lawyers for lawyers. And today the challenge here is to find the right balance between what is technically possible in terms of contract automation and contract lifecycle management on the one hand and contract visualization on the other hand. So I'm sure there may be some skeptics listening, um, perhaps the sort of old-fashioned lawyers who like doing things either by hand or kind of seeing a good old-fashioned contract, um, who might kind of be worried about, um, you know, if you're going to present um, information in a more visual way, is there an op- is there a risk that you may lose some of the um, quote-unquote specificity, the kind of precision that you might have from a traditional traditional contract what are your thoughts there no i don't think so i mean certain terms and certain definitions of course we we have to keep it and we we keep them that's that's no problem at all but we try to explain them in plain language instead of using legalese all the time 
No, fair enough. And I guess um, you also mentioned earlier about the idea of using icons and symbols. Um, and I guess that speaks to another great, great point that I've personally experienced when it comes to bilingual contracts, mm-hmm. um, when it comes to ensuring that both parties are on a level footing when it comes to their understanding of legal rights and things. Um, do you think there's a possibility that in future, if there's if there's some, I guess, alternate language, we could say, um, that's, that re- relies primarily on things like symbols and kind of universal language of, of that sort, um, that it might it might be better implemented in, in cases where there's two languages and, and kind of trying to ensure that both parties are on the, on the same page? Yeah, that would be great. And, and I would like to stress also that um, the, the visual elements, such as icons and timelines and infographics, etc., but also the use of colors and the right font, um, is there to support your message, not to replace your text. So it's about reinforcing what is already there. And so obviously you've gone from kind of being able to practice within the law and then onto this element of legal design. And like you said, you've kind of brought that from your background of always wanting to be a disruptor and innovator. Um, but for people who are listening who obviously have, haven't, might not have heard about this subject before and wanting to try and learn more about it and to try to get some kind of first-hand experience when it comes to rethinking the way that we present legal information and legal contracts, um, what's your sort of advice for someone to do that? Well, I think everybody can learn the basics of legal design through online courses or through classes at law schools. Mm-hmm. Um, but legal design primarily takes practice. I already referred to the Legal Design Lab of Stanford Law School, which is really great. Mm-hmm. And in my opinion, it's also really important to collaborate with trained designers across all disciplines mm-hmm. to gain a deeper understanding of what design thinking is all about. And to be successful, I'm convinced that lawyers and legal professionals in general must adopt a new mindset it's about Mm. empathy collaboration and co-creation are key and also buzzwords i know but (laughs) cultivate what is called a beginner's mind that is characterized by an attitude of eagerness and openness and lack of preconceptions when studying a subject even when studying at an advanced level just as a beginner in that subject would now Building a business around legal design, as for instance a freelance legal designer, is Mm -hmm. quite challenging because the one who benefits the most, our users, is often not your client. Right, I see. So I guess there's almost a a slight cultural problem there in that you're pitching to the wrong person when it comes to how, (laughs) how, how you're trying to actually sell your services. So how do you navigate that? You have to convince your clients that um, well, that they, they also uh, serve a higher purpose and that it's mm. making the law accessible and that it's really worth investing in long-time relationships with their clients. Mm. And legal design and legal information design in particular uh, can be a great help to realize that. Absolutely. Great. Well, um, thanks so much for coming on, Dominique. It was really great to chat with you and to explore this idea of legal design. Um, as, as someone who, like I said, didn't get the chance to learn about it at university or at law school, I think it's a really important concept. And um, I love the uh, the colourful contracts and I hope we get to see more of those um, in future. Where, where can people go to learn more about um, yourself and your sort of ideas that you, you've mentioned uh, throughout well, this episode? People can always visit my website, The Visual mm-hmm. Lawyer. Um, and they can also uh, visit my LinkedIn profile. Uh, I regularly post, um, well, legal design work with permission of my clients, of course. And I'm always happy to answer questions. So um, 
feel free to contact me. Great. Well, for today, thanks for coming on and sharing your insights. It was um, great to speak with you. Thanks for inviting me. Thanks so much for listening to another installment of the More From Law podcast. If you want to keep up to date with the show and make sure you never miss an episode, be sure to subscribe on your podcast platform of choice and sign up to my newsletter over at www.harryclarklaw.com. You can also follow me on most social media channels at the handle Harry Clark Law. If you enjoyed the show, please give it a rating and a review on the iTunes store as this helps others learn about the show and be sure to share it with your networks. You can also support the show by donating to my Patreon, which helps support the running and production costs of the show. For now though, I'll see you in the next episode of More From Law.